Hi, this is Allie. This is Kyle. And we're here to chat about doing all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to this episode. We are going to be covering a question that we received on exaltation. So what does exaltation mean in the context of James 1, 9 through 11? Is it wrong for us to be exalted? Elsewhere in the Bible, it's spoken of as God being the one exalted. So how are we to understand the idea of the lowly brother boasting in his exaltation? So I think really to get at what the question was really aimed at is a technical aspect of what is exaltation? And then secondly, how does this fit in the parameters of specifically James 1? So let's read that context to wrap our minds around that first. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So first I want to go into the technical meaning of exaltation that James is referring to here. In this way, James is saying, let the lowly brother, which by the way, saying brother there is meaning a Christian. So it's brother or sister. Now also, if you notice in this context, verses 9 through 11, he's talking about the future of the person. The rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. It's talking about the flower of the grass will pass away. And, and all of this idea of what will happen, what will come to be. But James is talking about exaltation. So this idea of exaltation, this term from the Greek means a high position. It means, you know, I've always said that to be exalted means to be lifted up, which is a biblical theme. It is especially in the Old Testament, that's more so how it's used. Well, likewise, it means lifted up, but it also means dignity or the high place or especially like where God is. You know, it's where God is, this exalted place. So when you take that in light of let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, it's this idea of he is low, but he is not. He is low, but he's lifted up, you know? And you see this idea of the upside down kingdom, right? Jesus said, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. This idea that those who want to be great in the kingdom of God serve. You come low, you, you don't exalt yourself. And honestly, this is just a theme that is rich throughout the Bible of God lifting up or exalting, using that same word, of those who are low. So, I mean, we could look at many different examples. We've got Proverbs, we've got Psalms, we've got Jesus and his sermon. Like in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's this idea that those who are low will be lifted up. Psalm 138, it says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty, those who are proud, lifted up, he knows from afar. Peter says something likewise in his letter. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this is a famous scripture reference. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And you could just take that separately to say, yes, this is a true thing. God cares for you, so cast all your anxieties on him. That's a wonderful truth and promise. But it starts with the humility of saying, God, I need you. It's positioning yourself in such a way that you know that you need God. And that's at the heart of all of this. And in fact, Peter, even in that same context, referenced humility multiple times. So then we get back into the frame of mind with what James is talking about here. And the, and the question that came to us was, elsewhere in the Bible, it's spoken of as God being the one exalted. So how are we to understand this idea that God is exalted, but so will we? We will be as well? Well, let's unpack an example from the Old Testament. We've got to go to Psalm 99. Psalm 99.5 says, Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Now, this is a perfect example of saying, it's kind of a call to all of us believers, exalt the Lord. Well, he already is exalted, and this is exactly how the Hebrew language unpacks this. If you were to go to the original language, sometimes we lose it in English, but in the original language of this psalm, it's saying exalt. It's like this command to put on or to acknowledge what already is. So God is already in the high place and acknowledge his high place. You're not giving him more dignity. You're not putting him in a high place as if he wasn't in a high place. But no, it's saying, frame your mind, frame your heart in the right position to see God as exalted as he is. Other times it says God is exalted or God will be exalted. And the same semantic range for that word for this phrase, it's actually a verb oftentimes in Hebrew. It's saying, as one would exalt themselves. And this is perfectly identifiable with God exalting himself. So that's what we see in the original language. So now as we look at this idea of our being lifted up versus God being exalted, how do we make sense of this? Well, for one, we are boasting in our exaltation because it's God who's doing the lifting up. You know, I, th I think of this word boast as, as James is using it. I'm thinking about, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and I'm immediately brought to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul says he boasts in his weakness. He is boasting that in which he is not. Like, he is not high, he is not lifted up, but he is boasting not in his strength, but in his weakness. So this there's this awesome picture that we get with reading scripture in light of scripture. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians, actually. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul writes, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now that made perfect there is meaning made complete in his weakness. It's not as if God is lacking anything. It's, it's not imperfect, but it's made complete in him, in his weakness. Okay, so 
Paul continues and says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's this idea that boast not in what you are right now, but in what will come. And I think thinking about this in in light of the gospel, right? In light of Jesus and all things, as this podcast is called, in light of the gospel, we are raised to life with Christ. We are buried with him, Romans 6. We are buried with him. We raised to life with him. So there is this future hope of eternity. We already know that James is talking about the future standing that we will have. He's talking about the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Yet the lowly brother will boast in his exaltation. And you can boast in it as if it's happening right now because of your future hope. Because that is secure. It is guaranteed. So that is your status that you can take on as exalted. Though you are lowly in society, though you are seen as low and humbled, you are exalted because Christ is exalted. He is in the high place. It's kind of like I think about how Jack Nicholson is a famous actor and is given VIP seating at the Lakers games. He's notorious for sitting in the front row. Now, if I went to a Lakers game, I would have to sit at the nosebleed seats. And if Jack Nicholson invited me to sit with him in the front row, now, that wouldn't necessarily make me VIP status all of a sudden. Nobody would know who I was, but I would be sitting with Jack Nicholson in the VIP section. And that's sort of like what this is. Like, I'm not God. God doesn't make me him, but he allows us to sit with him and he allows us to be in his presence and in this VIP section, if you will. And so we attain this status of exaltation, of being with God, being lifted up in the high place where he is. And yet this is forever. This is ongoing, not just when the game's over, it's done, bye, see ya, that status is gone. It's forever because God is eternal. This redemptive work is eternal forever. By association, because of the gospel. Yes. You know, like you have that seat in heaven with the Lord because of the gospel, because he has given his life for you, for us, so that we can have that place. Otherwise, on our own, we don't, we can't. It's Christ. Romans 6, 5 through 11. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, and this, as he says, for if we have, if you read the context, we definitely have been united him with a death like his. So he's saying, therefore, since we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, when we think about this idea of being exalted, being lifted up, the lifting up is not for us to be worshipped. The lifting up and the place in high position is not for our exaltation of worship, but to enjoy God forever. That's our hope. That's what we all we could ever hope for, and that's exactly what we were made for. Like boast in the ability to be able to worship God. Yeah. Boast in the gospel that gives you the opportunity to worship the Lord. Mm, absolutely. Man, I just think of Paul's humility that comes resounds again and again. And as much of an educated man as he was, he says, I know nothing but Christ Jesus. So now I want to get back to the text here in James, back to the idea of the lowly brother boasting in his future exaltation because of Christ, because being united with Christ and the work that he has done, he is now able to say, though I am low, I am exalted. I am lifted up with Christ. I am with him in his presence to worship him. That's the aim here. But in the current now, he's talking about those who are proud, those who are rich, are boasting in the temporal things, the things that are just here right now on this earth that will fade away. They will pass away like in the midst of their pursuits. They will die in the midst of pursuing the things of this earth. That's what James is saying. There's this overtone of pride and humility. Like as, a, as we've already seen throughout scripture, throughout the entire Bible, old and new, you see God lifts up the humble, but he is far away from those who are proud. So the one who is already lifted up, the one who has exalted themselves, is really the proud one. It's the opposite of the lowly brother who is boasting in their future exaltation. But the proud one is really like boasting in their self-exaltation. They're boasting in the now, and they're boasting in ultimately their self-reliance. They're essentially captivated by their idol of themselves. Now, consider how the idol of self is prevalent in boasting of your current circumstances or neglecting God. You know, I, I once listened to Piper say something about how atheism is so proud to say that God does not exist. They can't stand the idea that there would be a sovereign being over all of the world, over all people, all events in time, all at the same time, not to mention every little detail of their life. And so the proud person, ultimately the atheist says, God does not exist because they can't stand that idea of not having the control that they so long for. And they have put themselves as God. And as the psalmist says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. I think a true state of humility ultimately is going to come down to needing to look up and see, I need God, right? And to say, there is nothing I can do without Jesus. That's actually exactly what Jesus said in John 15, 5. He said, you can do nothing without me. In fact, let me actually just turn to that. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Now, I think that word nothing is very important because Jesus never spoke a careless word. It's in Matthew 12. We know that. Jesus never spoke a careless word, and he was condemning those who speak careless words and said that they would have to one day account for all of their words, every careless word even. So that's alarming to me, first of all, to think about. But then I think about how Jesus was not careless with his words. And so when he says that, for apart from me, you can do nothing, he literally means there is no thing that you can do apart from me. So when I say that I need Jesus to get me through even doing this podcast, that is a very literal statement that there is nothing that I can do without him upholding me and sustaining me. We also see in Colossians 1 that he upholds the universe, you know, that everything is held together by him. So then when we acknowledge that we need God and we even need him to save us, that's where we're really coming to the true state of humility. That's where our lowliness really begins is to say, God, I need you. I like how Paul Washer even said, I was saying the other day how he said, the only thing that I've contributed to my salvation is my sin. I thought, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I love that. So in reality, we see that it's a God-centered gospel. It's about God saving people for his own glory that when we are exalted, we continue to give glory to him. We continue to love him and worship him in truth. I'm even reminded of Deuteronomy 8, where God reminds his people that you cannot even earn wealth. You cannot even work without me. Like I'm the one who gave you the means to gain wealth and to do anything. I encourage you to read Deuteronomy 8 in your time. Just check that out because you will be astonished and amazed and reminded of God's presence. And this has always been a truth that we need God for everything. So we think about how far removed a person must be to be proud. You know, I think it's mistaken a lot of times as like pride being like an idol, but it's really just a symptom of what's really underlying. Nobody's desiring, I want to be prideful. I, I want to be proud. But no, they are saying that I want to be worshiped. I want to be acknowledged as good. I want to be applauded and all of these things. I want to be in control. <laughs> so they'll say all of those things, even if they don't say them out loud, they're saying them in their heart and they refuse to ask God. And that's why Peter said, humble yourself first to know that you need God and then give your anxieties to him. Like, do you see that correlation that humility must come in order to ask God for help in all of your anxieties? So we say, yeah, we want that help, but have we been humble enough to see that God is exalted. He is in the high place. He is dignified. He is God. And then we are not. And we can't be self-reliant. We can't be doing all this on our own. So therefore we need God. And that's what James is saying as well. So when we see that we're lowly, we are low. This is acknowledging where your true state is. You are low. You are not God. Let him boast in that future exaltation that is through Christ. It's like the opposite of what the world says, you know, Mm -hmm. like how the world might say something like, oh, yeah, believe in yourself. You're so good. You can do this. You can do that. Look at your accomplishments. Look at all of this and look at all of that. Mm -hmm. And it's all focused on you. And so 
it's the opposite of the gospel because when you do that and when you realize that you have bad moments when you fail and that actually makes it worse like you when I think when people like try to lift people up and like oh yeah self-esteem and you have to have more self-esteem and it's just all focused on yourself and then if your worth and your identity and your focus is all on you and then when you fail and you realize oh I'm not that good I'm not that perfect I fail I so and you're relying on yourself and that's just it's pointless because that's why it's so important that you realize yeah I am lowly this actually helps in our uh, identity I am lowly but God is the one that sustains me and lifts me and helps me and he's the one that I need Mm. and so you have a perfect God that you can rely on not yourself that is so faulty and sins and fails and is not perfect but you can rely on a perfect God when you realize your weakness otherwise you're just relying on yourself and you're going to let yourself down and you're going to let other people down Mm. as the Bible tells us to encourage one another what does that look like then if we're not pumping them up on themselves so first Thessalonians 5 11 says Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So backing up verse nine, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, so we have the salvation. He has saved us. We are not under God's wrath, you know, and it is through Christ who died for us. Um, and we have an eternal hope. So therefore encourage one another, build each other up, um, based on the gospel, based on who Christ is and what he has done for us. Not, not what we accomplished. We accomplished Mm -hmm. nothing. Like you said, Paul Washer says, the only thing that we've contributed to our salvation is our sin. We've basically contributed nothing. (laughs) So encourage one another in the sense of pointing each other to Christ, build each other up in the Lord, build each other up in what he has done in our hope in him and the hope in the salvation in the resources that he gives us. He's given us the Holy Mm. spirit. So pointing each other, I think to that, like we are not alone. He has not abandoned us. He has not left us. He has not forsaken us and he's given us himself the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to help us and to encourage us and to guide us through this life, through the ups and downs. So again, it's not encourage each other in that, oh, you're so great. You're so this, you're so that. No. And we have that example directly from God where Moses is, but Lord, I can't do that. Lord, I can't speak. I can't do it. You know, like he's having all these excuses why he cannot be the one that leads all the people out of Egypt. And God doesn't say, Oh, Moses, you actually are a good speaker. Oh, Moses, you actually do this really well. No, he's like, I will be with you. You can do this because I'm going to be there because I will supply everything that you need. So again, God is encouraging Moses in that situation. And he points to himself, not pointing back to Moses, but points to himself because Moses is sinful. Moses was a sinful, imperfect human. And so God points back to himself. And so I think when we encourage each other and build each other up, it's pointing each other back to the perfect God who has saved us, died for us, and now has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to help us through this life. And the ultimate lowliness is 
being before God and realizing your position before him, that you're not God and you need him. Mm -hmm. And that when you're not seeing God, you're being Mm self-reliant and you're not seeking him. So like the proud person is self-reliant and they're, they're bowing down to the idol that they are God. Mm -hmm. They're putting themselves in the position that they are God. Mm -hmm. And that's the sin really of Mm -hmm. pride and exalting oneself mm-hmm. now if somebody were to say well why isn't that sin for god because god is the ultimate being god is the greatest conceivable being god is the greatest thing that you could possibly imagine so if you can think of anything greater well then that's god there is no fault in him he is perfect and complete so for him to worship anything else for him to actually put something else in the position of himself, which is God, that would be false worship. So that's good for him to do that. And we are at our most satisfied, our happiest, when we are doing that, when we're in line with worshiping God as we were created to be. And if we ever have any questions of, is is this really God's intention for us to worship him and to glorify him? Well, let me just, okay. Since you twisted my arm, I'll go ahead and turn to Isaiah. Okay, just real quick. Uh, Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God is talking about who is precious, who is honored, and who he loves. It's everyone who is called by his name, who he created for his glory, whom he formed and made. And then if you turn right over, uh, just go a little bit further down to verse 21, same chapter, God says, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. And there you go. You see our purpose from God himself saying, this is why you exist. So our joy and our happiness is really rooted in our purpose. And that's glorifying God, giving praise to him. And when we're actually doing that, I don't have any doubt that you will be most satisfied and at your happiest because that is literally what God created you for. And so we find this deep passion and joy rooted in God's glory. And God is passionate about that. God finds great joy and satisfaction in that. And God is most glorified in us. When we are most satisfied in him that is not mine that's what piper says and it's drawn right here from scripture let's talk about the implications of the one who is proud and lifting themselves up rather than being lowly and letting god lift them up and truly being low is being before god and saying i need you to be my savior god and then our exaltation is christ's exaltation by being God and taking us with him. For the one who is proud, the one who is self-reliant, they cannot look up to God because they are looking down at everyone else. The one who is proud cannot thank God because they are deceived and think that whatever they have has been done by their own hand. The proud one cannot be satisfied because they have put themselves as the object of worship. So the things they use to pursue that worship, whether it's through their work, attaining wealth, and even other people, they will never be satisfied. You and I were never meant to be worshipped, but 
Satisfaction can be found in true humility that says, I need you, God. I need you for everything. I desire you. God, I need you to save me. It reminds me of the, I don't know if it's a parable where it's like a banquet or something, or like there's a dinner or something like that. And where Jesus says, like, don't seek the place of honor, like the seat of honor, Mm -hmm. because then you'll be humiliated when you get shuffled and moved to a lower seat. But rather, why not seek the lower seat? Because then you can be exalted. Like, oh, no, 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 you come sit over here closer to the Lord or something like that, you know, like, um, but not out of wanting that higher seat, you know, but out of not going like, okay, I'm going to take the lower seat, like the lesser seat. Oh, because I might be exalted, but more of because you know that you deserve that lower seat. Like, you know, that you don't, you have no worth in of your own. And the only reason why you would be moved up is because the Lord, you know, like someone else brings you and not be again because of your own worth but because they are gracious to extend that to you right so the lord extends his grace to exalt us not because we're worthy not because we deserve it not because of us but because he because of who he is like he loves us because he is love not because we are in and of ourselves like have qualities and things and good things about ourselves to be loved but just for the sole fact that we are loved because he loved us and that's what gives us worth that's what gives Mm. us identity you know that's what Mm. that reminds me of of like to to be lowly to recognize your place because you recognize that you have nothing to offer the lord that is not from him anyways yeah i think what you're saying um like is likened a lot to um Man, I want to rule over angels someday. I want to have the seat on the throne. And and like in that mentality of like, that's what they're viewing heaven as. While it may be, there may be some truth rooted in scripture, not meaning to go there now, but if that's what they long for and their ultimate goal is, so, okay, I'll be humble so that I can get that because mm-hmm. that will be my power. That yeah. will be the, the time I'm going to reign. Mm-hmm. No, you are missing it because it's all about God reigning. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I was just reading something in Psalms uh, just a little while ago. Um, let me just find that. Just about like in, enjoying God th- that reigns, like mm-hmm. the fact that he reigns, rejoice in that. So this just jogs my memory to Psalm 97 that says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. And you see that? That should bring us rejoicing is the fact that the Lord reigns. That is an eternal truth, and that should cause us to rejoice and not seeking our own or to be um, reigning or something Mm -hmm. like that, some ulterior motive that is not God's glory and enjoying his reigning. Mm -hmm. I think that's sort of what you were getting at, Mm -hmm. right, with that and not desiring that. Now, I think there's this idea when we understand exaltation now in its proper technical sense, it's either God exalting himself mm-hmm. or being with him in his mm-hmm. in his high position, in his not just uh, dignity and, and renown, uh, because that's kind of what's given to us mm-hmm. just by association. We are children of his, mm-hmm. so therefore we have a new identity. Mm-hmm. But I'm also talking about literally the dwelling place of God, of mm-hmm. being with him. And that ultimately is not a bad thing to desire and to say, 
oh, I desire to be near God. Like I want to be with God. So when we understand what exaltation is in the right frame of mind, not I'm going to rule and reign and all this. No, it's God's reign and rule and you rejoice over that. But I want to be humble. I want to be low. Humble me, God. Be careful when you pray that <laughs> because he will. But when you realize, as you were saying, your actual position, you don't actually need to be humbled. I mean, if you just wake up and realize you're already low position, mm -hmm. then you will have this hope of exaltation to be with God. And that is, if that's your ultimate gain and ultimate desire and goal in life, that's a good desire. God will grant that. Yeah, it's kind of like where, I don't know, I imagine like a room and like the Lord is in that room. And then it's just like, I get to be in the room. Like, I don't care where I'm in the room. I get to be in the room. Yeah. And then, then by his grace, he goes, come sit at my table. And it's just like, whoa, I get to sit at his table. Like, you know, just to, to have that sense of awe that we would even be allowed in his presence anywhere in his presence, you know, mm -hmm. in this example of the room. Um, but then even to say like, oh, seated at his table mm -hmm. and getting to enjoy being with him and enjoying a meal with him, you know. And so mm -hmm. I just think of like the marriage um, ceremony and the celebration, mm -hmm. you know, that's to come when he returns and he comes back for his bride and it's just yeah. like, Oh, we get a seat at the table. Yeah. We get like a front row seat at the, mm. like the marriage, you know, of the ceremony of the Lord of Jesus, you know, coming back for his bride. So, yeah. and it's just like, I get to be in that, like, Whoa, yeah. you know, like whatever place we had, it's just like, yeah. I get to be part of this, this awe and this wonder of it, you know? That's awesome.